It very much resonates with me when you say people are afraid to step yeah. into what am I going to have to change because it's a lot of work. Yeah. So you can't unsee what you see. And then once it is there in front of you, I mean, 100% honest, I, I didn't want to see what I saw. When you decide you want to buy a red car, you see a million red cars on the road. When you start to have the awareness around sort of the relationship dysfunctions, yeah. you start seeing it in every relationship you have, not just one. Yes. <laughs> and so it just keeps repeating itself. It keeps showing up. And so it's almost like you can't not see it anymore. And when the pain and discomfort become too much, that's when I think the reality is we start to make a shift. But that is a great way to describe the fear. It's not just just, hey, what's going to come up? It's, I'm going to have to do something with it when it does. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. And I'm your host, Hannah Warren. Hey friends, today is a really special treat for Lindsay and me as we get to let you in on a conversation we had with one of our favorite teammates, Amelia Baldwin. Having spent over 13 years at Onsite, Amelia has held a role in almost every department here, and she currently serves as a director of business development, helping individuals and their professional support identify the next right step in their healing journey, whether that's at one of our programs, an intensive, a digital offering, or with another facility or offering. We had a really beautiful conversation where Amelia shared the personal exponential effects that she has seen in every area of her life as a result of working at Onsite, but also doing the quote-unquote work. I also love that because she has been in this space for so long, she was able to speak to historical and current trends we're seeing in what a lot of people are calling a mental health tsunami. So sit back and get to know the brilliant and amazing Amelia Baldwin. And if you're looking for the next right step on your healing journey, our admissions or business development team would love to connect with you at 1-800-341-7432. All right, let's jump into this interview. Let's start there. Let's We're sitting down with Amelia Baldwin, who's been here for the longest of anyone I know besides Miles. I guess it was 13 years in July. Wow. wow. I know. It's crazy. That's wild. <laughs> and we haven't had you on the podcast yet. No, you haven't had me on the podcast. But Makes sense to you now. Yeah, it makes sense now. And I love the podcast. I, I get so many compliments. Mm-hmm. People who think about coming or clinicians who are trying to get their clients to come. Mm -hmm. It's the, between that and the digital offering, it's the number one way for me to share what we do. I Mm. just tell clinicians, hey, let me send you a couple of podcasts that are relevant for the client you just described to me. They can share it. And it feels so non-threatening. It's just about, hey, here's some information. And yes, it talks about on-site, but more importantly, it talks about the issue that seems to be coming up for you. So it's the best resource for me. Well, that just warms my heart as your <laughs> podcast producer. Um, I guess I misspoke. You have been on the podcast. We had you on one of our like yes. team episodes. You spoke about shame, and then we stuck you in on another team episode where you gave us a little bit of like what mental health means to mm-hmm. you. But now we get to really focus in and dig deep on who Amelia is. Oh, so. that's kind of scary. You might not like what you hear. <laughs> <laughs> As the resident eight of the organization, I can tell you not many people get to dig in. So um, this is a, a stretch for me. So I'm excited. Well, I appreciate you leaning in with us today. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> so you kind of touched on right now you've got a role that you help sort of support clients as mm-hmm. they're on their emotional health journey and tr- looking for next steps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you've done kind of everything <laughs> under the sun. At yeah. Insight. Yeah. What yeah. departments have you not been in? <laughs> I would like to say I've not been in the therapeutic room, but I have <laughs> sort of helping fill in and support people. But I'm not a clinician. That's the sort of running joke around here is I'm not a clinician, but I do play one on TV. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm not in that is one uh, area I've not really worked in. I've had a brief stench in um, programming, but mm-hmm. that was ever so brief. Uh, other than that, just about every department I have had uh, the privilege of serving in, in one time or another throughout the history. If you'll remember, we were small back in the day, so we all wore lots of hats. So I'm not yeah. the only one who's had a lot of different um, experiences in different departments, but it's been a wonderful way for me to get to know the organization as a whole. So mm-hmm. when I am trying to put together um, programs, specifically specialty programmings. I know what it means for the culinary team. I know what it means for the programming team. And I know the extra hoops they have to jump through. So a lot of times it it helps me speak into solution rather than just saying, hey, I need this done. And I can help them brainstorm what that would look like. So it's been a lot of fun. What do you appreciate the most about the role that you're in right now? Um, I really appreciate the connection I've gotten to make with clients and professionals. It's really about helping people. So before this, I spent the previous four years in operations, Mm -hmm. which was a beautiful opportunity for me to get to know our staff at a different level. And it was just, it was really life-giving. And at the same time, it took me out of direct client interaction and referent interaction, which is where I had spent the previous seven years. And really is my heart and soul. I love just really hearing people's story, holding space for that, helping curate um, programming and um, just helping them feel safe, whether it's them or them as a couple or a family. Mm. And honestly, I love sort of relating. Sometimes when people call, they feel isolated and alone. And I love to share parts of my own story that feel appropriate. And mm-hmm. it, I find it really sort of settles them. Sometimes I literally hear them take a deep breath. It's like, oh, okay, so you've been through there. You've mm-hmm. you've experienced this. And that's probably the the most fulfilling role I've had here. Yeah. And this role honestly allows me to do more of that mm. than running the operation. So talking with the, the clinicians and their clients for that sort of warm handoff concierge service, it's my favorite part of the day. And the sweet admissions teams love it because I know how to do a pre-screen. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You really get people started. Yeah, yeah. And so we start the process and it makes their job a lot easier when they finally, you know, get That's to the registration awesome. process. 13 years ago sounds like a long time, but then you think about it, you know, it's like. It's not. It's a blink. um, We're peers, and Mm -hmm. so we're both in our 40s, and you think about 13 years ago, you were in your 30s. That's right. (laughs) Like who, yeah, like how, when you think back about the person that, Mm -hmm. like, first met Miles and started working here, how have you, like, changed and transformed over the last almost decade and a half? Yeah, who was Amelia back then? Oh, it's almost an immeasurable growth. Hmm. I mean, in all honesty, my children will tell you there is mom before on-site and there's mom after on-site. I've had the privilege of doing, um, I don't know, eight, ten programs here, whether they be leadership programs. I did my first one in 2010. And so the Amelia of 13 years ago did the Living Center program, um, air quotes, out of necessity because I was going to be moving into admissions. And Mm -hmm. 
that Amelia was kind of pissed off, honestly. Yeah. Uh, why do I have to do this? This is not what I signed up for. I'm here, you know. But it was by far the best thing that I could have ever done for myself because it started my healing journey. I try not to give Miles too much credit, but at the end of the day, he generally sees something. He sees something in people that oftentimes we don't see in ourselves. And so he pushes us to um, to step out of our comfort zone. And in the moment, it doesn't feel good. And as I say, I was not happy about it. But <laughs> I'm glad he did. And and my faith is super important to me. And so I trust that every step of this journey, when it's been hard and when I've been scared, has been what the ultimate plan is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the, the growth that has taken place over the years, yes, it has a lot to do with what happened in the group room. But more so for me, it's the people that I've gotten to be around mm-hmm. and working here. I mean, the fact that we could show up and be who we were good, bad, ugly every day. Yeah, I will say some of us probably went to an extreme with that <laughs> and probably um, needed to, to step out and do more therapy and less <laughs> getting our needs met at work. And so we learned that. Mm-hmm. And that says something. And it says yeah. something about the organization when you can grow and change seats and be seen in that way. A, a lot of companies that I've witnessed from the outside, albeit, want to keep people in the in the role they're in and in the position mm-hmm. they're in because it's what serves them well. And what I love about working at OnSite and sort of the culture that we have built is that we're allowed to be curious about our passions and how mm-hmm. we can serve the organization. And we're allowed to change roles and seats. And honestly, it keeps us engaged. It keeps us motivated. Mm-hmm. Uh, it keeps the energy up. And so for me, that's sort of been the case. Yeah, I've done just about everything here. And every time it's been a scary challenge and growth opportunity. And it's it's kept me here. So back then, I was probably more cocky. <laughs> um, I don't know that I've ever had an evaluation that didn't include um, shifting my delivery. <laughs> so um, I, would, I would like to say I've grown in a lot of those ways. I've mellowed yeah. out. That could be age. It could be personal work. And it could just be, you know, leaning into the feedback that I've been given. So I think I've grown a lot in that way. It's crazy. You know, just thinking back, I've been here five Five? years now Mm -hmm. in January and how much I've grown and changed in the time that I've been here. And I'd say the same thing, even though I've kind of stayed in the departmentally more in the same job, Mm -hmm. I feel like every year my job's been different and we're all learning and growing and stretching enough that it does keep me feeling energized mm-hmm. and engaged because I'm always learning something new mm-hmm. and feel like I'm growing too. You know, it's a, a mutual thing where I can like give back to the organization, but I'm also learning and growing. So mm, right. if I ever did transition out, it would be as a better person That's and right. a better leader yeah. That's and right. a better marketer. Mm-hmm. Janet, our former COO, who was our COO when I came in. Um, who was she, joining the team. That's right. joining the team. Our, our new VP of um, business strategy. Services. Yes. So Janet said in my interview, because I asked, like, what have you been the most surprised about working at OnSite? She was fairly new at that time, too. And she said, when I decided to come to OnSite, I knew that it would be a move that would both grow me professionally and personally. Mm -hmm. And she said, and that has been the case. Um, And I I agree with that. I think I'm a completely different person over the last three years since I've started, but it has been growing more into myself. That's right. Less like growing into what onsite needs me to be or whatever, Mm -hmm. 
but just having the space to explore and the space to rediscover who I actually am. Mm, yeah. 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 There are so many times where we would come in and, and just have so many personal things going on. Mm-hmm. And I love that we cultivated this space where you could show up with, you know, my kids have literally grown up here too. That's yeah. been really cool to watch. And everybody has sort of been a part of that. And so there's something to be said for coming into a space that allows you to say, you know what, it's been a hard morning with the kids. And mm-hmm. and and knowing that the people you work with can hold space for that, can care for you, can pick up where you may mm-hmm. sort of drop off that day. And you can do the same for them the next day. Um, that's the type of culture that really, I think, has kept me here, Yeah, if that makes sense. Yes, I'm growing. And yes, I love the mission of what we do. That's obviously the backbone. And I love the people I get to do it with. Yeah. Yeah. More than anything. Some of your different roles have been more client service, less client service. And now that you're very much in the behavioral Mm -hmm. health space, in the role that you are, what was your earliest imprints with therapy? Was therapy a thing growing up? <laughs> what did that look like? Like emotional health? What was your your schema for that yes. before coming here? It was, I really did not have a baseline for any therapy. Yeah. Had an experience growing up. I grew up in an alcoholic home, mm-hmm. but didn't really have language or verbiage for it. So my yeah. honestly first experience with therapy was doing the Living Center program. Yeah. Baptism by fire. <laughs> this will throw you in the deep end. <laughs> you talk about drinking from a fire hydrant. It yeah. was a whole thing. And I didn't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. But it was, again, for me, and this is honestly what I tell people when they're so scared and they have no idea what to expect. It, going through it was powerful, for sure. Mm-hmm. But I didn't even realize all that I had learned or yeah. the ways I had changed until maybe three, six months later, I started noticing I was responding differently mm. to situations. I could look back and sort of see a shift in my trajectory and my relationships and both with my husband and my children. So it was a lot at the time. And it's like the gift that keeps giving. Yeah. Because the the more time that passed and the more work I had done, the more I was able to actually integrate it mm-hmm. into my day to day. Yeah. And I didn't even have that language or realize that when I left the mm. program. So that was even awareness as time passed and I had that sort of separation. I was able to become more aware of the the, the impact it had on me, really. Yeah. I do think, like, we introduced the concept throughout the programs that there's, like, this two-degree shift yeah. mm-hmm. that can happen when you lean in and do the work. And... um it's almost used as a grace of like, hey, like, don't expect yourself to change dramatically. Mm-hmm. But I, like you, I'm like, it's cool because a lot of times it's things that you don't even realize that are shifting two degrees. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, I'm just a little different. That's like, right. And it's like you're discovering it yourself, too, mm-hmm. after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's like, oh, I would have just handled that just a little differently before. That's right. And it's enough to, like, keep you curious and keep you shifting, kind of, mm-hmm. and keep moving towards who you're becoming. I have never thought about it that way before. Yeah. Yeah, from, like, a positive lens. That's yeah. right. And I think so much of the experiential work and like somatic and getting in your body, that's something that I noticed too of there were shifts that I didn't know had happened in me just in being able to process things at a deeper mm-hmm. level in a different way. Mm-hmm. That then six months later, that two degree shift shows up and I went, oh, 
this doesn't show up in my body the same way it did either. Like I'm yeah. not activated oh, in the yeah. same way. So for me, mm-hmm. sometimes it still shows up, but yeah. I can so name you it. Can when name I it, get yeah. triggered, like I piece. feel it in my legs and I will, I will literally say, okay, my, my legs are vibrating. Like I mm. feel what's happening. And now because of the work I've gotten to do here, it's like not only do I understand it and have the awareness around it, I get to name it. And for me, that's so powerful. Yeah. Like whomever I'm in, um, whether it's friendship or relationship or conversation with at the time, if it's safe, I can say, I, f- I can feel myself starting to get really triggered. And so, as you say, we hold so much of that in yeah. our body. And when we can name it, and for me, sometimes it's, okay, I've got to take a walk because what I know my legs are telling me is you're ready to run or fight or mm-hmm. like something. And so that's things that I learned that I didn't even realize I had learned until much later after the after the program, mm-hmm. um, if that makes sense. And that to me, yes, it's less. And when it happens, I have a quicker awareness about it and I can name it. Mm. I'm curious, you know, I know you talk to a lot of clients mm-hmm. um, as they're making their way through life. What are like some themes that you're hearing mm-hmm. or trends that you're seeing just with people that you're talking to right now? Yeah, that's a good question, especially if I think back to the early years with admissions and talking with people all day. What I'm noticing more is that people have more awareness and more language. And I Mm -hmm. think as a society, we're doing a really good job of sort of normalizing. There's no stigma and giving people the language to express what's happening. So I don't know that I talk with many people who don't actually use the word trauma, Mm. which is cool in that that's what we treat. And that used to not be the case. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people would talk about, I don't know what's going on, and then we'd start to dig, and they'd tell me some family of origin. I'm thinking, oh, there's some trauma there. But they don't. They didn't have no, that awareness. Was. They, were, they were missing the language. And so I'm certainly starting to see the people I talk with owning it, identifying with it, and wanting it to shift. And so the resistance isn't there. It just feels like people want the help. The fear is still there. And I honestly would be worried if there wasn't some level or degree of apprehension Mm -hmm. about sort of stepping into this work. But I'm certainly seeing with the language shifting, willingness to own sort of where it's showing up in their life, what they want to shift, and then how they might want to show up differently, particularly in relationships. And it could just be the season I'm in, but I talk to a lot of parents too. And mm. so they're really concerned about, okay, what am I modeling for my kids? Yeah. How am I showing up for them? So that's been a, a one dramatic thing I've seen is the language and the awareness and the shifting from that yeah. side. You've mentioned a couple of times the fear, you mm. know, that people have before doing this kind of work. Mm-hmm. And when we were working on a vision video a couple of years ago and we were like floating scripts by friends and alumni and things like that, someone referenced that. And the way that they framed it, I won't do it justice, but their words were so spot on. It's a lot of the fear that they felt was around knowing that if they came and invested in themselves like this, that they we're going to have to change. Mm, they were yeah. going to like see it and be aware of it. And they were nervous about how they were going to have to change. Mm-hmm. I think so often it's like you think, oh, I'm I'm afraid that I have something that I'm going to like uncover. dig up that uncover. I didn't know mm-hmm. happened to me. And that happens sometimes. But I think more often it's like the, st- the things that we know that mm-hmm. we should be doing <laughs> that are just like under the surface. Yeah. Yes. That we're like, 
oh, I just want to keep that stuffed away for a little bit. But coming on site, it's like you have to get into it. And do something with it. Yeah, yeah you definitely do. do. Yeah, you and know. the group work is so powerful because you can't hide in that group, mm-hmm. right? So you, you sort of name it and then you've got some accountability around it. It's funny that you said, then I have to do something about yeah. it. I'm also a life coach. And what I find with the clients I work with is, uh, a lot of coaching is about um, really action and forward movement and goals and and actually moving the ball down the field. And that's a commitment in and of itself. So you can go to therapy and you can sit across from someone who's a subject matter expert and they can say, okay, here's what this means and, and maybe even give you some labels. If you are with a coach, you are the expert and you are in control and it is up to you to make the actions yeah. and the steps. And so it very much resonates with me when you say people are afraid to step yeah. into what am I going to have to change because it's a lot of work. Yeah. So you can't unsee what you see. And then once it is there in front of you, I mean, 100% honest, I, I didn't want to see what I saw. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I didn't do anything with it for a minute. Some parts I didn't do anything with it. And it just keeps coming up. Yeah. And it's it's almost like, you know, when you decide you want to buy a red car, you see a million red cars on the road. Yeah. When you start to have the awareness around uh, sort of the relationship dysfunctions, yeah. you start seeing it in every relationship you have, not just one. Yes. <laughs> and so it just keeps repeating itself. It keeps showing up. And so it's almost like you can't not see it anymore. And it, when the pain and discomfort become too much, that's when I think the The reality is we start to make a shift, but that is a great way to describe the fear. It's not just, hey, what's going to come up? It's I'm going to have to do something with it when it does. Yeah. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining us in this conversation with Amelia. One of my favorite parts was getting to pull back the curtain on the onsite experience from Amelia's perspective. If you've been listening to the podcast for any length of time, you have heard us talk about our life-changing experiential workshops and intensives. Maybe you even know that our podcast gains its name from our most popular workshop, the Living Centered Program. These experiences, guided by the top clinical minds in the field, really do extend the length and depth of healing work for you to be able to engage in ways that are not always afforded in other settings. If you've been contemplating it for a while, here's your nudge to do a little more exploration into attending an in-person experience. I loved Amelia's perspective on all of this and the insight she was able to give on finding the right program for you. You can learn more at onsiteworkshops.com and check out the first half of our 2023 program dates that were just released. If you're not sure where to look for the next right step on your healing journey, our admissions and business development team would love to connect with you. They can be reached at 1-800-341-7432. All right, friends, let's jump back into this interview. When we had Shana Nikos on the podcast, she talked about... Um, Mackenzie's favorite. She's my favorite, and I take every opportunity I can. No, I was kidding. <laughs> um, but she talked about we won't make change until there's enough pain there, mm-hmm. like for so many of us. And so how do we start to shift in ourselves that will make the change before the pain? Because... Yeah, you have to like that's pain's a really good motivator. Yeah, <laughs> you just want to start to get uncomfortable, and I that's why I love some of the work we do at Onsite is teaching people to identify it before they get to burnout and pain, mm-hmm. and teaching people the responsibility and burden and freedom that comes with self awareness. That's right. That's right. Like there is there is a little bit of a burden, like we're saying, mm-hmm. you know, and there's responsibility with when you know you know, <laughs> and now you're just with it. But there's a lot of freedom that comes with that too. Right. Yeah. And I love but, yeah. what you said too. Um, I think there when I talk with people who 
their therapist has had identified something yeah. within them and it kind of triggers, hey, you might need on-site. And then I speak with them and they're like, you know what? I don't feel like I'm there. I'm not in crisis. It just doesn't feel that big. I love just sort of digging into that a little bit because what I'm learning and what I like to share with people is, gosh, I can't imagine how much more I would get out of it if I wasn't in crisis and mm. I could actually start to consume. You know, sometimes when we're in crisis, we're in that that side right. of our brain that doesn't really articulate because we're kind of in that triggered place, which means we're not in the current time. It feels as though what's happened to us in the past is is current. And so if we're not in that space and mm-hmm. we can start to lean in and do the work and and get the, the psychoed piece that we do and yeah. connect the dots, imagine the foundation you'll have when it becomes even heavier and you need those tools, yeah. you've got them on board. Yeah. What percentage of people would you say come in and do a program in crisis and maybe someone who comes in and does a program and maybe that more proactive, like? You know, I would say place. the large majority are, are sort of at least in crisis or close. So mm-hmm. I would say 60% at least yeah. are in crisis, uh, if not more. And it serves them. Oh, it totally. Just is, it's more of a tourniquet versus yeah, like that's a, good. having the ability to that's like right. really optimize. And it is such a shift. I mean, guys, you guys, you've been doing this a long time too, and you get the privilege of talking to so many of our alumni. I can't count. I mean, if we had a dollar for every time we heard the words life changing, yeah, yeah, or saved my life or mm-hmm. saved my marriage, we would be, you know, rolling around in the <laughs> in money. But the truth is, is that that is accurate. And I always caution when I talk with people, um, this is not going to be it for you. This yeah, is usually okay. a start. This is a um, deeper understanding. It, you're going to want to keep going. It may be not right in the beginning and maybe not at onsite, but with a therapist, doing your own work. Because if I've learned anything over the years, it's that there's always another layer to peel back. And yeah. every time you think you've worked on one thing, it's going to come back up. What is the saying? If it's not one thing, it's your mother. <laughs> and it just keeps resurfacing. And, and <laughs> it's I, true for a lot of us. It's really true. true. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and the fact is, I mean, I can remember being in groups, literally screaming, I have done this work already. Yeah. I've done it. Why am I having to do it again? And the truth is, it's still there. And yeah. we're going to keep doing the work. I, I was taught many years ago, if you no longer feel it in your body, if you can have the memory or the emotion and not feeling in your body, you know it's pretty much resolved. Mm-hmm. If you still feel it anywhere, then you know you're probably, it's going to come back up again. It's going to show itself some way, somehow. And that's how you know you just got to keep going. And I even remember saying, can I just skip this part? I know, it's discouraging yeah. a bit. <laughs> it is. It is discouraging. But on the other side of it, like, why do it I beautiful? still feel it? Right? right? It's so, it's almost like you don't know that it's cold outside until it stops being hot. Yeah. And so I don't know how good it is until I've realized how painful it was. And so it means we have to go through the pain. Yeah. Mm. It's good. It's hard. hard. <laughs> My husband sometimes says, does it hurt when you touch it? And there's still work there. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> um, I would love for you and kind of the role you're in. What what are some of the steps and questions and assessments you maybe walk through if someone calls you and is mm-hmm. kind of in that crisis state or, hey, I know something needs to change. I can't name it, whatever that like, what does that process look like with yeah. the biz dev team, the well, business development team? Yeah, generally 
um, the clinicians kind of know, they know that their clients need help. And yeah. so in a lot of situations, I'm just helping them identify, okay, if it's on-site, which program? And if it's not on-site, and this is honestly something I don't know that people realize we do, we're just a, a resource. And yeah. so I love connecting dots. I love getting out and meeting new therapists, new treatment centers, understanding what they do so that when everybody's so unique and their circumstances are unique, and when I hear of uh, a need that doesn't fit for onsite, I have a resource for mm. clinicians or for clients. So usually the therapists know, hey, this is coming up for my client and I need some help. You know, I don't yeah. know where to send them. Is it you? If it is, which program? So that's sort of the professional side. But when I talk with clients who are in crisis, I just start to assess, you know, what do they need? And again, I'm not a clinician, so we have to be really careful. But I think just holding space for people and understanding where they are, are they safe, mm-hmm. giving them resources if they're not. Making sure we, you know, loop back in the professional they're working with, um, but then just identifying. Okay, w- w- let's talk about what the pattern. I talked with a lady for a while last night, and she's got a ton of childhood trauma. But it's showing up primarily. She had all these things that were coming up for her. And she said, at the end of the day, I think it's showing up in dysfunctional relationships. And so if we can sit with people long enough to understand and to help them identify what is what sort of is the the big thing for me right now, then it helps us point them to the right direction of where they can get the most help. It's this dysfunctional relationship pattern. And she even had the verbiage to say, it feels like there's a hole that I'm trying to fill with somebody mm. else. And so when they, when our clients can can tell us that, and she was certainly in crisis last night, then it gives us so much more insight into how you know, is there some attachment stuff going on? Are we, you know, these external relationships that are unrealistic expectations we're putting on them, what are the resources we can get them in the moment, next week, next month? So it's like you start to put together a plan. And and I really enjoy that part. And even a lot of the Milestones clients that come to see us, they're, it's not always tomorrow. Most of the time it's not. Mm-hmm. And so what are the steps that we, it's almost like scaffolding. I was in London uh, last month, and one of the colleagues I met with there, he said, we love to put scaffolding around people. And so what that means is, mm. like, what are the, the the supports that we're putting in place? Making sure you're checking in with your therapist, making sure that, you know, that we're, we're getting you in a detox if that's what you need, or making sure you've got a coach for right now, or, you know, just making sure you're you're taking the extra steps to put the scaffolding around you until you can either get to onsite or get to a program that's going to be a better fit for you. So I think that's the scaffolding is a big piece of how we help people who are in crisis. That's so helpful, finding someone the right intervention or solution for right now because maybe onsite is right, but not right now. That's exactly right. And that's what so I tell right people. program it's, at it's, the wrong time. It's never a no. It's yeah. more not right now. Yeah. Because we don't want to do more harm than good. I'm mm. literally working a case right now with Christopher down at Milestones with a client who we're not sure. Yeah. And and the beautiful thing about being able to collaborate with Christopher and that team is that, I mean, he's going to do a call with a client. So how many executive directors of treatment centers are, or VPs of treatment centers are doing calls with clients? Not many. And that's what I love about the collaboration here. Mm-hmm. He's going to get on the phone and he's going to do a call and we're going to determine, are we going to, are we going to be able to support this client or are we going to do more harm than good? So they need some stabilization before they come to us. And um, so making sure that the timing is right. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it's hard because if you're in crisis, you don't want to hear, you don't want to hear not right now. Yeah, totally. So 
if they hear not right now, I always help them see, and here's what is right now. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to leave you floating and just, oh, sorry. That's, that just, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> can't do that, that part. So I know that you mentioned earlier <laughs> that you are doing some coaching. Yes. How has that process been for you? And like one of the things I love and appreciate about you are, is like, you're quick to action. Mm-hmm. You're, you're decisive, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. you, you know how to work plan. <laughs> and I would imagine a lot of clients that seek out coaching struggle with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also, I'm similar in mm-hmm. yeah. being decisive mm-hmm. and like a plan and want to work it and get out of the stuckness <laughs> as quickly as possible. But I realized that I have, you know, friends and colleagues that are not that way. How have you learned to, like, move towards them mm-hmm. and not be frustrated by their oh, lack of movement? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I, I even find myself, it's not just with clients, with I've had to do a lot of work right. that I'm not frustrated with just <clears throat> colleagues or family. I'm like, oh my gosh, don't you see what to do? Yeah. Yeah. Or it, so, and that's my own work to do. You know, we are all so different. Yeah. Um, but th- to answer your question, it my experience in coaching has been great and it has felt so natural given my experience in admissions, but then also my personality. I mentioned I was an eight earlier because it feels so natural to be able to hear someone say, okay, this is where I want to go. Here's where I am. And I have no idea how to get there. So the the fact that we can sit together and brainstorm a plan and, okay, so here's the plan. And then what are the action steps? And let's take it one step at a time, one week at a time, one day at a time. I love breaking things down. A lot of people don't do that. I was working with a client who just was struggling. She had her own business and she was struggling with scheduling. And I, and she said, literally, just scheduling time to go to the grocery or scheduling time to help my children with homework. I just can't. I feel so overwhelmed. And I literally said, have you thought about just using your calendar and blocking off time for everything, whether it's I'm working with a client or I'm going to the grocery store? And she hadn't thought of that. <laughs> right? And so I was like, oh, okay. So some of this is just helping. And now... The beautiful thing I love about that is, while it sounds so simple to me, there's no way I could sit with her clients and do what she does. Yeah, Which reminds me again of how we're all so different and how beautiful it is that we can all bring so much different energy gifting to this world to help everybody. So the idea that we were able to just start there, let's just start with scheduling I mean, the next week, she's like, it made all the difference in the world. I was able to get the groceries. I was able to help the kids. And, and so the the way my brain works in that mm-hmm. sort of analytical uh, fashion has been helpful. And I also have had to learn I can't work harder than the clients. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Because trust me, I want to. Yeah. I want to just tell them what they need to do, and I need to make sure they, you know. They have to get there themselves. That's right. They have to get there themselves. And feel frustrated if they don't do it. That's right. 
or not. That's the other piece. A lot of times they're not frustrated. Yeah, okay. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we didn't hit our goals. And so again, it bumps up against my own stuff, Mm -hmm. which just is more opportunity for me to look at my own work and be like, no, no, we have to get it. And I'm like, okay, that's great. So you're okay with it? Do you want to keep going? Like, what do you want to do? And so just giving them all the power. But it is it is challenging with the personality type that Lindsay described that she and I have when people aren't moving or can't see it, helping them get there on their own, which is the job of a coach is to mm. ask really powerful questions, help them understand why it is they even made the goal, why it is they want to even move and what the benefit is for them. Because that self-motivation is much better than anything I could say to help motivate them. Yeah. They need to want it and move at their own pace in the direction they want to go for their own fulfillment. I resonate with so much of that. I feel like my like family moniker growing up was like, if it's broken, like fix it, just Mm -hmm. fix it. Like, let's get after it. Don't be passive. Passivity in myself and in other people is one of my biggest frustrations and one of my biggest areas of work. Well, it is. We're passive about it, you know? That's right. But then there's also the other end of the spectrum, which is, and I have so struggled with this, is Always having to do, yes. always having to be in Not motion, to always having to. And so uh, a friend of mine calls it the hero syndrome. Mm-hmm. You know, I could be sick and I'm like, oh, no, 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 I have to get up. At the end of last year, I had foot surgery. And my husband literally took a picture of me. I'd been home from the hospital one day. I had this big boot on all the way up to my knee. I have my leg up on the countertop washing dishes. Now, that is ridiculous, (laughs) okay? Ridiculous. But that's the other extreme, right? So I think any good thing could quickly become a bad thing. A little bit's good. A whole lot's better. That's right. Yeah, totally. So I think there's there's the two ends of that spectrum. That's right. So we have to have the awareness yes. and knowledge and the people around us who love us and we trust to say, sit down. Yes. Here's what I see in you. And I'm going to lovingly <laughs> confront you on That's this. right. Carefrontation time. <laughs> Carefrontation. With my leg up on the... Are you open to some feedback? <laughs> yeah. And those that we know and trust and love, we can hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Because we know that they have our best interest at heart. It has nothing to do with them. It's not self-motivating. Although for my husband, it may have been if I'd have been in more pain later, the delayed recovery. <laughs> delayed healing like, too. That's harder I on know. me, okay? Yeah. Sit down. <laughs> yeah. Well, kind of as we're winding out, I know that you are a very disciplined person. I'm very in awe of you. So what are some of the practices that keep you centered? And how do you maintain those practices? Oh, yeah. That's really my question. Well, the absolute non-negotiable for me is my prayer time in the morning and Mm -hmm. my uh, scripture and my journaling. And that is, I mean, the alarm clock goes off every morning. At? (laughs) It varies. It could be 4. It could be 4.30. It just depends um, on what's going on for the day. And that is the non-negotiable for me. And that is what fuels me. Mm -hmm. That centering in scripture and in prayer and in meditation it, it is everything. And mm-hmm. even on the weekends, it, I don't set the alarm. I wake up naturally, thank goodness. <laughs> but, um, and it is a discipline. It, it's interesting. It started for me in this consistent mode probably about five or probably five years ago. Mm-hmm. And it has changed me probably more outside of like a program here. Mm-hmm. It has made the biggest impact for me in my mental health. Mm. And it just, it's a its a time for reflection. It's a time for preparation for what's ahead. Yeah. And, you know, I've gone through a lot of seasons here. We talked about the change at onsite and the different positions. And 
that's come with a lot of um, pain. Yeah. Uh, the growth of the organization and the shifting that I've done, there's been a grieving process, which has been so natural, but painful. Totally. And those practices have been so helpful for me to remember sort of where my worth and value yeah. comes from. And, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know how to answer how to continue it because it's just become who I am. That and then working out that comes after. Yeah. I, I think I mentioned to somebody recently about a year, six months ago, I shifted my schedule. It was get up and work out, then do um, Bible study, but I've shifted it with Bible study comes first. And that was just something I felt led to do that was sort of start the day. But the workout is is also something that's been powerful and I can easily talk myself out of that one. Mm-hmm. So it's not as a... <laughs> Not as stringent and strict and concrete as um, as my prayer life, but it is. And I've recently been doing yoga every day. Oh, I've sort of given up. I say given up. I'm doing less cardio and strength training and more just yoga, and that feels like a continuation of my Mm. my prayer time and my meditation. So. I, because of that, and because it feels like a continuation, it has been more consistent. Yeah. So if a physical health and, and working out is a thing, I would say find a way to make it life-giving mm. instead of just a chore. I love that. Yeah. So that's, so that's me. You're welcome. This was so fun. I know. It's this been so great fun, to have yeah. a conversation you with know. you ladies. Great yeah. excuse to catch up. Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.